section ninety three of england scotland ireland and wales this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox the world's story volume ten england scotland ireland and wales edited by eva march tappan section ninety three the siege of londonderry sixteen eighty nine by thomas babington macaulay when the english finally lost all patience with king james the second they invited his daughter and her husband william of orange to become their sovereigns james fled but he did not give up hope of regaining his crown and a year later he landed in ireland with troops and money supplied by the king of france all ireland except ulster was on his side but ulster which had been taken from the irish catholic owners and given to english and scotch protestants declared for william derry or londonderry was its most strongly fortified town and thither fled large numbers of the protestants to this town james with his french and irish forces now laid siege the editor may passed away june arrived and still londonderry held out there had been many sallies and skirmishes with various success but on the whole the advantage had been with the garrison several officers of note had been carried prisoners into the city and the two french banners torn after hard fighting from the besiegers had been hung as trophies in the chancel of the cathedral it seemed that the siege must be turned into a blockade but before the hope of reducing the town by main force was relinquished it was determined to make a great effort the point selected for assault was an outwork called windmill hill which was not far from the southern gate religious stimulants were employed to animate the courage of the forlorn hope many volunteers bound themselves by oath to make their way into the works or to perish in the attempt captain butler son of the lord mount garrett undertook to lead the sworn men to the attacks on the walls the colonists were drawn up in three ranks the office of those who were behind was to load the muskets of those who were in front the irish came on boldly and with a fearful uproar but after long and hard fighting were driven back the women of londonderry were seen amidst the thickest fire serving out water and ammunition to their husbands and brothers in one place where the wall was only seven feet high butler and some of his sworn men succeeded in reaching the top but they were all killed or made prisoners at length after four hundred of the irish had fallen their chiefs ordered a retreat to be sounded nothing was left but to try the effect of hunger it was known that the stock of food in the city was but slender indeed it was thought strange that the supplies should have held out so long every precaution was now taken against the introduction of provisions all the avenues leading to the city by land were closely guarded 
on the south were encamped along the left bank of the foyle the horsemen who had followed lord galmore from the valley of the barrow their chief was of all the irish captains the most dreaded and the most abhorred by the protestants for he had disciplined his men with rare skill and care and many frightful stories were told of his barbarity and perfidy long lines of tents occupied by the infantry of butler and o'neill of lord slane and lord germanstown by nugent's west meath men by eustace's kildare men and by kavanagh's carry men extended northward till they again approached the waterside the river was fringed with forts and batteries which no vessel could pass without great peril after some time it was determined to make the security still more complete by throwing a barricade across the stream about a mile and a half below the city several boats full of stones were sunk a row of stakes was driven into the bottom of the river large pieces of fir wood strongly bound together formed a boom which was more than a quarter of a mile in length and which was firmly fastened to both shores by cables a foot thick there could be no doubt that if londonderry fell the whole irish army would instantly march in irresistible force upon lough erna yet what could be done some brave men were for making a desperate attempt to relieve the besieged city but the odds were too great detachments however were sent which infested the rear of the blockading army cut off supplies and on one occasion carried away the horses of three entire troops of cavalry still the line of posts which surrounded londonderry by land remained unbroken the river was still strictly closed and guarded within the walls the distress had become extreme so early as the eighth of june horse-flesh was almost the only meat which could be purchased and of horse-flesh the supply was scanty it was necessary to make up the deficiency with tallow and even tallow was doled out with a parsimonious hand on the fifteenth of june a gleam of hope appeared the sentinels on the top of the cathedral saw sails nine miles off in the bay of lough thirty vessels of different sizes were counted signals were made from the steeples and returned from the mastheads but were imperfectly understood on both sides at last a messenger from the fleet eluded the irish sentinels dived under the boom and informed the garrison that kirk had arrived from england with troops arms ammunition and provisions to relieve the city in londonderry expectation was at the height but a few hours of feverish joy were followed by weeks of misery kirk thought it unsafe to make any attempt either by land or by water on the lines of the besiegers and retired to the entrance of lauch where during several weeks he lay inactive and now the pressure of famine became every day more severe a strict search was made in all the recesses of all the houses of the city and some provisions which had been concealed in cellars by people who had since died or made their escape were discovered and carried to the magazines the stock of cannon-balls was almost exhausted and their place was supplied by brickbats coated with lead 
pestilence began as usual to make its appearance in the train of hunger fifteen officers died of fever in one day the governor baker was among those who sank under the disease his place was supplied by colonel john mitchelburn meanwhile it was known at dublin that kirk and his squadron were on the coast of ulster the alarm was great at the castle even before this news arrived avaux had given it as his opinion that richard hamilton was unequal to the difficulties of the situation it had therefore been resolved that rosen should take the chief command he was now sent down with all speed on the nineteenth of june he arrived at the headquarters of the besieging army at first he attempted to undermine the walls but his plan was discovered and he was compelled to abandon it after a sharp fight in which more than a hundred of his men were slain then his fury rose to a strange pitch he an old soldier a marshal of france in expectancy trained in the school of the greatest generals accustomed during many years to scientific war to be baffled by a mob of country gentlemen farmers shopkeepers who were protected only by a wall which any good engineer would at once have pronounced untenable he raved he blasphemed in a language of his own made up of all the dialects spoken from the baltic to the atlantic he would raise the city to the ground he would spare no living thing no not the young girls not the babies at the breast as to the leaders death was too light a punishment for them he would rack them he would roast them alive in his rage he ordered a shell to be flung into the town with a letter containing a horrible menace he would he said gather into one body all the protestants who had remained at their homes between charlemont and the sea old men women children many of them near in blood and affection to the defenders of londonderry no protection whatever might be the authority by which it had been given should be respected the multitude thus brought together should be driven under the walls of londonderry and should there be starved to death in the sight of their countrymen their friends their kinsmen this was no idle threat parties were instantly sent out in all directions to collect victims at dawn on the morning of the second of july hundreds of protestants who were charged with no crime who were incapable of bearing arms and many of whom had protections granted by james were dragged to the gates of the city it was imagined that the piteous sight would quell the spirit of the colonists but the only effect was to rouse that spirit to still greater energy an order was immediately put forth that no man should utter the word surrender on pain of death and no man uttered that word several prisoners of high rank were in the town hitherto they had been well treated and had received as good rations as were measured out to the garrison they were now closely confined a gallows was erected on one of the bastions and a message was conveyed to rosen requesting him to send a confessor instantly to prepare his friends for death the prisoners in great dismay wrote to the savage livonian but received no answer they then addressed themselves to their countryman richard hamilton they were willing they said to shed their blood for their king but they thought it hard to die the ignominious death of thieves in consequence of the barbarity of their own companions in arms hamilton though a man of lax principles was not cruel he had been disgusted by the inhumanity of rosen but being only second in command could not venture to express publicly all that he thought 
he however remonstrated strongly some irish officers felt on this occasion as it was natural that brave men should feel and declared weeping with pity and indignation that they should never cease to have in their ears the cries of the poor women and children who had been driven at the point of the pike to die of famine between the camp and the city rosen persisted during forty-eight hours in that time many unhappy creatures perished but londonderry held out as resolutely as ever and he saw that his crime was likely to produce nothing but hatred and obloquy he at length gave way and suffered the survivors to withdraw the garrison then took down the gallows which had been erected on the bastion when the tidings of these events reached dublin james though by no means prone to compassion was startled by an atrocity of which the civil wars of england had furnished no example and was displeased by learning that protections given by his authority and guaranteed by his honour had been publicly declared to be nullities he complained to the french ambassadors and said with a warmth which the occasion fully justified that rosen was a barbarous muscovite melfort could not refrain from adding that if rosen had been an englishman he would have been hanged avaux was utterly unable to understand this effeminate sensibility in his opinion nothing had been done that was at all reprehensible and he had some difficulty in commanding himself when he heard the king and the secretary blame in strong language an act of wholesome severity in truth the french ambassador and the french general were well paired there was a great difference doubtless in appearance and manner between the handsome graceful and refined diplomatist whose dexterity and suavity had been renowned at the most polite courts of europe and the military adventurer whose look and voice reminded all who came near him that he had been born in a half-savage country that he had risen from the ranks and that he had once been sentenced to death for marauding but the heart of the courtier was even more callous than that of the soldier rosen was recalled to dublin and richard hamilton was again left in the chief command he tried gentler means than those which had brought so much reproach on his predecessor no trick no lie which was thought likely to discourage the starving garrison was spared one day a great shout was raised by the whole irish camp the defenders of londonderry were soon informed that the army of james was rejoicing on account of the fall of enniskillen they were told that they had now no chance of being relieved and were exhorted to save their lives by capitulating they consented to negotiate but what they asked was that they should be permitted to depart armed and in military array by land or by water at their choice they demanded hostages for the exact fulfilment of these conditions and insisted that the hostages should be sent on board of the fleet which lay in Loch foyle such terms hamilton durst not grant the governors would abate nothing the treaty was broken off and the conflict recommenced by this time july was far advanced and the state of the city was hour by hour becoming more frightful the number of the inhabitants had been thinned more by famine and disease than by the fire of the enemy yet that fire was sharper and more constant than ever one of the gates was beaten in one of the bastions was laid in ruins but the breaches made by day were repaired by night with indefatigable activity every attack was still repelled but the fighting men of the garrison were so much exhausted that they could scarcely keep their legs several of them in the act of striking at the enemy fell down from mere weakness a very small quantity of grain remained and was doled out by mouthfuls the stock of salted hides was considerable and by gnawing them the garrison appeased the rage of hunger 
dogs fattened on the blood of the slain who lay unburied round the town for luxuries which few could afford to purchase the price of a whelp's paw was five shillings and sixpence nine horses were still alive and but barely alive they were so lean that little meat was likely to be found upon them it was however determined to slaughter them for food the people perished so fast that it was impossible for the survivors to perform the rites of sepulture there was scarcely a cellar in which some corpse was not decaying such was the extremity of distress that the rats who came to feast in those hideous dens were eagerly hunted and greedily devoured a small fish caught in the river was not to be purchased with money the only price for which such a treasure could be obtained was some handfuls of oatmeal leprosy such as strange and unwholesome diet engenders made existence a constant torment the whole city was poisoned by the stench exhaled from the bodies of the dead and of the half-dead that there should be fits of discontent and insubordination among men enduring such misery was inevitable at one moment it was suspected that walker had laid up somewhere a secret store of food and was revelling in private while he exhorted others to suffer resolutely for the good cause his house was strictly examined his innocence was fully proved he regained his popularity and the garrison with death in near prospect thronged to the cathedral to hear him preach drank in his earnest eloquence with delight and went forth from the house of god with haggard faces and tottering steps but with spirit still unsubdued there were indeed some secret plottings a very few obscure traitors opened communications with the enemy but it was necessary that all such dealings should be carefully concealed none dared to utter publicly any words save words of defiance and stubborn resolution even in that extremity the general cry was no surrender and there were not wanting voices which in low tones added first the horses and hides and then the prisoners and then each other it was afterwards related half in jest yet not without a horrible mixture of earnest that a corpulent citizen whose bulk presented a strange contrast to the skeletons which surrounded him thought it expedient to conceal himself from the numerous eyes which followed him with cannibal looks whenever he appeared in the streets it was no slight aggravation of the sufferings of the garrison that all this time the english ships were seen far off in loch foyle communication between the fleet and the city was almost impossible one diver who had attempted to pass the boom was drowned another was hanged the language of signals was hardly intelligible on the thirteenth of july however a piece of paper sewed up in a cloth button came to walker's hands it was a letter from kirk and contained assurances of speedy relief but more than a fortnight of intense misery had since elapsed and the hearts of the most sanguine were sick with deferred hope by no art could the provisions which were left be made to hold out two days more just at this time kirk received a dispatch from england which contained positive orders that london dares should be relieved he accordingly determined to make an attempt which as far as appears he might have made with at least an equally fair prospect of success six weeks earlier among the merchant ships which had come to lalkfoy under his convoy was one called the mount joy the master makaja browning a native of londonderry had brought from england a large cargo of provision he had it is said repeatedly remonstrated against the inaction of the armament he now eagerly volunteered to take the risk of suckling his fellow-citizens and his offer was accepted andrew douglas master of the phoenix who had on board a great quantity of meal from scotland was willing to share the danger and the honour the two merchantmen were to be escorted by the dartmouth frigate of thirty-six guns commanded by captain john leake afterwards an admiral of great fame it was the thirtieth of july the sun had just set the evening sermon in the cathedral was over and the heart-broken congregation had separated when the sentinels on the tower saw the sails of three vessels coming up the foil soon there was a stir in the irish camp 
the besiegers were on the alert for miles along both shores the ships were in extreme peril for the river was low and the only navigable channel ran very near to the left bank where the headquarters of the enemy had been fixed and where the batteries were most numerous leake performed his duty with a skill and spirit worthy of his noble profession exposed his frigate to cover the merchantmen and used his guns with great effect at length the little squadron came to the place of peril then the mount joy took the lead and went right at the boom the huge barricade cracked and gave way but the shock was such that the mount joy rebounded and stuck in the mud a yell of triumph rose from the banks the irish rushed to their boats and were preparing to board but the dartmouth poured on them a well-directed broadside which threw them into disorder just then the phoenix dashed at the breach which the mount joy had made and was in a moment within the fence meantime the tide was rising fast the mount joy began to move and soon passed safe through the broken stakes and floating spars but her brave master was no more a shot from one of the batteries had struck him and he died by the most enviable of all deaths inside of the city which was his birthplace which was his home and which had just been saved by his courage and self-devotion from the most frightful form of destruction the night had closed in before the conflict at the boom began but the flash of the guns was seen and the noise heard by the lean and ghastly multitude which covered the walls of the city when the mount joy grounded and when the shout of triumph rose from the irish on both sides of the river the hearts of the besieged died within them one who endured the unutterable anguish of that moment has told us that they looked fearfully livid in each other's eyes even after the barricade had been passed there was a terrible half-hour of suspense it was ten o'clock before the ships arrived at the quay the whole population was there to welcome them a screen made of casks filled with earth was hastily thrown up to protect the landing-place from the batteries on the other side of the river and then the work of unloading began first were rolled on shore barrels containing six thousand bushels of meal then came great cheeses casks of beef flitches of bacon kegs of butter sacks of peas and biscuit anchors of brandy not many hours before half a pound of tallow and three-quarters of a pound of salted hide had been weighed out with niggardly care to every fighting man the ration which each now received was three pounds of flour two pounds of beef and a pint of peas it is easy to imagine with what tears grace was said over the suppers of that evening there was little sleep on either side of the wall the bonfires shone bright along the whole circuit of the ramparts the irish guns continued to roar all night and all night the bells of the rescued city made answer to the irish guns with a peal of joyous defiance through the whole of the thirty first of july the batteries of the enemy continued to play but soon after the sun had again gone down flames were seen arising from the camp and when the first of august dawned a line of smoking ruins marked the site lately occupied by the huts of the besiegers and the citizens saw far off the long column of pikes and standards retreating up the left bank of the foil toward Straybane. so ended this great siege the most memorable in the annals of the british isles it had lasted a hundred and five days the garrison had been reduced from about seven thousand effective men to about three thousand the loss of the besiegers cannot be precisely ascertained walker estimated it at eight thousand men end of section ninety three this recording is in the public domain